Good morning. How is everyone today? Good. Good. Um, I just want to say before we begin, um, what an opportunity it is to share with you guys what the Lord has been teaching me um, and what he has told me to uh, tell you guys today. Um, so before we begin, actually, can we just bow to God one more time in prayer? God, we thank you that you have brought each one of us here today. God, we thank you that you are a God who meets us no matter where we are at, whether we are in times of trouble, God, or whether we are in times of joy. And we thank you that you meet us here today, God. We come to you today expecting you to teach us, God, expecting you to guide us. God, give us ears and hearts to hear what it is, what it is you have for us today. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So I want to begin today by asking a question. How many of you here today have had to overcome fear in your life, in one way or another, in order to carry out what God has called you to do? It has been my experience, as I expected, it's been with all of us here, that as we look to proclaim the name of Jesus and engage in his work here on the earth, that we often come face to face with the fear that is in our lives, fear that we may quickly overcome, or fear that may cripple us as we hold on to it. And as we look at our scripture passage for today, we get a picture of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, gathered with other believers confronting the fear that is in their lives through prayer. And I believe that the prayer that was prayed by Jesus and his disciples almost 2,000 years ago is a prayer that we can and that we should pray as we confront the fear that is in our lives today. I believe that the prayer that was prayed by Jesus' disciples almost 2,000 years ago is a prayer that we should pray today as we seek to make the name of Jesus known. Now, in order to gain an understanding of why Jesus' disciples were gathered in prayer, we must jump all the way back to the beginning of Acts 3. Here, Luke tells us of a time when Peter and John had gone to the temple and were asked for money from a crippled beggar. I'm sure many of you know the story. The man had been lame from birth, and Luke further tells us that the people would lay this man daily at the gate of the temple so that he could ask for alms. Upon the beggar's request, we get Peter's famous response I have no silver or gold or silver and gold I have not but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth stand up and walk the man jumped up and began to walk Luke tells us that the man entered the temple walking and leaping and praising God would you be amazed at this sight I think I would be And many of the people who witnessed the miracle were. So much so that as we read on in Acts 3 and in Acts 4, we are told that a multitude gathered around Peter and John and heard the good news of Christ, of his death and resurrection. Acts 4.4 tells us that many of the people who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. It's amazing. But some were not amazed. The priests and Sadducees in the temple came to Peter and John and had them arrested and imprisoned. Well, Peter and John had engaged in the work of God, bringing healing to the crippled man and preaching the word of God, they had at the same time 
challenged the Sadducees' belief concerning the resurrection of the dead. Further, the authority that Peter and John possessed through the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ was perceived as a direct threat to the authority that the religious leaders possessed. We get an understanding that the Jewish leaders believed their authority had been threatened by Peter when they ask, by what power or by what name did you do this? Well, Peter and John are boldly able to answer the Jewish leaders and are ultimately released as the Jewish people are praising God for what has done. Peter and John, in the end, are still threatened and warned by members of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders to stop speaking to anyone in the name of Christ. Now, we don't know what Peter and John were threatened with, perhaps further imprisonment. We simply don't know from the text. Whatever the case, however, such threats would lead Peter and John to gather with fellow believers to pray. While the fear of what could happen to them could have paralyzed them, could have prevented them from spreading the gospel, they felt the need to confront such fear by falling on their knees before God. And while we're going to get into the contents of this prayer and how the prayer can help us to combat fear in our lives, I want to first ask the question, what does fear look like in your life that has prevented you from taking part in God's work? What does fear look like in your life that has prevented you from taking part in God's work? For Peter and John, it was the fear of the Jewish relief the Jewish religious leaders that could have easily prevented them from taking part in God's work. For us, as I expect many other leaders in the church, maybe perhaps the fear of upsetting a certain member of our congregation could prevent us from doing what God has called us to. Or perhaps the fear that a friendship or workplace relationship could be compromised if we share the gospel, that could prevent us from engaging in God's work. And not to belittle the situation or to make light of it at all. But I suspect that for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are around the world in areas where there is persecution, I think that a fear that they might lose their lives could easily prevent them from engaging in the work God has called them to. Fear exists in our lives in various ways and at various levels. And while we in this room may not have the same fears as one another or the same fears as our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, we each must confront the fear that is in our lives so that we are not held back from participating in our calling to further Christ's kingdom. As we have seen, if we follow the disciples' example in confronting fear, we are led to pray. But how should we pray? Well, I don't believe that there is a one-size-fits-all answer to this question. I do believe that the disciples' prayer in Acts 4 offers us an example of how we can approach the throne of God when there is fear in our lives. In looking at the disciples' prayer, we can see that we are ultimately led to pray in such a way that focuses on God's plan, on God's redemptive plan for the world. And I want to suggest that prayer that focuses on God's plan triumphs over the fear of man. Prayer that focuses on God's plan triumphs over the fear of man. Now let's unpack the disciples' prayer. First, the disciples' prayer can be seen as a prayer that aligns with God's plan 
in that it acknowledges God's power and his sovereignty. Let's read again through the beginning of their prayer. If you want to follow along in Acts 5, 23 to 28. It says, After they were released, John and Peter, they went to their friends and reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Does this prayer not paint a beautiful picture of God's power and give evidence of God's word in Isaiah 46 that his purposes will stand? God's power and sovereignty is first acknowledged in the prayer through the declaration that he is the one who has made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. A declaration that is continually made throughout scripture as we look in the Psalms in Exodus and Nehemiah. God's power and sovereignty is additionally declared in this prayer through the words of the psalmist, why did the Gentiles rage? Or as we look back in Psalms, why did the nations rage? The disciples knew that despite the opposition to Israel from the nations, and despite the opposition to Jesus from those who crucified him, God's redemptive plan continued to stand. So too could the disciples know that despite the opposition they faced, God's redemptive plan would continue to stand. And so too can we know today that despite our opposition, God's purposes will stand. When we acknowledge the sovereignty of God, we come to the realization that fear should not hinder obedience. Because anything that man can do to us when we are obedient will not hinder God from working out his redemptive plan. Prayer that focuses on God's plan triumphs over the fear of man. A second way that the disciples' prayer on God's a second way that the disciples' prayer focuses on God's plan is through asking for boldness to participate in God's work, to participate in his plan. The remainder of the disciples' prayer reads, And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now, I don't know if it's the same for you, but while I can understand the importance of being obedient to God, and I can understand that fear should not prevent me from being obedient to God, I often let fear dictate my actions. Does anyone else have similar experiences? <laughs> I was wondering now if I could actually have two volunteers who want to come up and sit in these chairs. Don't worry, Keith. He's counting on that. <laughs> well, sure. You don't have to say anything. In fact, I want you to sit in these chairs and say absolutely nothing at all. It's the easiest volunteering you'll have to do. Now, I want you to imagine here that we have two friends who are sitting on a park bench. Let's say on a beautiful summer day. So we can get out of this winter. 
We'll change their names. We'll have Johnny here and Jane. Okay? So Johnny and Jane have known each other for quite some time. Um, Johnny, however, has just recently come to know Christ. Johnny is super excited about his faith. And in his prayer time and in talking with his small group in the church, has really felt the need to tell Jane about his beliefs, about his beliefs in Christ. Jane, however, doesn't really want to have anything to do with Christianity. Jane often makes fun of Christianity and thinks religion, well, it's not all that good. Johnny knows this. And Johnny, because of fear, doesn't really want to tell Jane about his beliefs in Christ. <laughs> out of fear that it will compromise their relationship, that the friendship could, could end. So Johnny, letting fear rule his life, what happens? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> How many of us have had similar experiences? We recognize that we have an opportunity to share the gospel, to share the message of Christ, but fear paralyzes us. Even though we may know that God is sovereign, and we may know that fear shouldn't hold us back from obedience, fear paralyzes us. It is in these times that we need to pray like the disciples for boldness so that we can be obedient. As we read the remainder of our scripture passage for today, we see that when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, I don't know if this room is going to shake today when we pray for boldness. Um, that would be pretty neat, I think. <laughs> but I do know that the same Holy Spirit is able to empower us and give us boldness today. God has called us to partner with him in his plan to bring redemption to the world. And we need to pray for boldness. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us, to combat fear so that we can fully join in. In this way, prayer that focuses on God's plan triumphs over the fear of man. So we have seen that a prayer that acknowledges the sovereignty of God and that asks for God's boldness allows us to confront the fear that is in our lives so that we can fully take part in the work that God has called us to. This is how the disciples prayed 2,000 years ago, and I believe that this is a model for how we can pray today. I was told in preparing for this week that the theme of the chapel, the theme of chapel for this semester, was now more than ever. As I think about the people in our communities who do not know Christ and the fear that prevents the church from reaching them, I think that a time to pray is now more than ever. And as I think about the terrible events that are going on around the world and the fear of persecution that is faced by many of our brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ, I think that a time to pray is now more than ever. So as we close, I want us to come to God in prayer. Let's acknowledge his sovereignty and let's pray for boldness. Let's pray.
Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, it is you who said by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in Jerusalem, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at the threats we face and grant your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. It is in his name we pray.